Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I like that. Say it again. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. <laughs> I don't know. Let me say No, I'm just kidding. I want to make you do it again. I like it. Thanks, Mike. Um, we are in the middle of a series called The Party in God. And I think we, do we still have books in the back? Uh, do we still have some books left over from The Party in God? They, they have been out front in our foyer section. I noticed when I walked by this week, they weren't there. I don't know if we put them away or if we've run out. If they're out there, grab one. They're $7 a copy. You can put less or more than $7. That's what they cost us. But take it for whatever you can pay. I'd love for you to read along. A lot of the illustrations and themes that we're talking about on Sunday mornings are in that book. If it's not out there, you can um, order it online. I'm sure you can get it at Amazon.com or someplace online to, to find it. So we'd love for you to be joining with us. I've talked to many of you who are ahead of me in the series. You've already finished the whole book. You actually like the book's sermons better than mine. That's what you said. No, I'm just kidding. Anyone said that? Um, but we're having a great time. One of the things that we are doing is that we are a part of two other churches in the area, Community of Faith Christian Fellowship in the Harbor. Uh, Community of Faith Christian Fellowship is in Brighton, and the Harbor is on the North Shore. And the three of our churches, we're all part of the same movement of churches here in the area, are doing this series at the same time. And we are swapping pulpits next week. So I will be traveling to Community of Faith to preach at Community of Faith next week. Brian Carlson, who is at the Harbor, will be here. Um, and Jeff Bianchi, who is at CFCF, will be at the Harbor. And so we're all kind of doing a rotation. So you won't see me, um, but you will have an outstanding preacher next week to bring the Word of God. And he's going to be talking about the party within. So what's it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit um, as we talk about partying with God? Awesome. Well, um, I don't know what your experience is, but when I first discovered who Jesus was, and for my life, uh, finding Jesus was an interesting journey because I grew up in a home that had um, uh, conversations every once in a while about God, so I wasn't ignorant of who God was. I wasn't even ignorant of who Jesus was. There were times once a year where I would go to Easter services at some church and put on my three-piece polyester suit with a clip-on tie and do the church thing as a kid. So I, I, I grew up in a Christian environment, but I didn't grow up necessarily in a Christian home. And, and um, although I think that both of my parents would say that even at the time of my growing up that they were believers in Jesus, it didn't look like Jesus in my home, let me tell you that. Um, lots of fighting, lots of um, uh, independence. It was a lonely place for me, actually. There was addiction in our home. There was unfaithfulness later on that we found out. Uh, my, my parents' marriage, and I love my mom and dad dearly, and they're wonderful people, but they were not walking in strength and holiness and pursuing Jesus when I was growing up. And so my experience was one of, of a fear, um, loneliness, isolation, and a lot of, of questions about life and God. So when I came into an understanding through a series of events, through a youth camp in my later uh, elementary years, and then on into my junior high years, and all of a sudden in, in my seventh grade year, Jesus and everything I'd learned about Jesus from hearing about him became a reality to me, and he, I met him. I don't know how to describe it. I didn't actually see a, a man with long, beautiful brown hair and a really cool beard and sandals and a robe. I didn't meet him. I don't even know if that's what he looks like. But I met God as a seventh grader. I don't know how to describe it other than the truth of what I was hearing 
changed from words in my mind to an experience and a reality in my life. And all of a sudden, I wanted to submit my whole life to the God who had created me, to the Jesus who had died on the cross for me to forgive me of my sins and to set me free. When that happened, my whole worldview changed. And all of a sudden, hope invaded hopelessness. Companionship invaded loneliness. And it wasn't just about Jesus being my companion, although he was. But I got involved in church, and all of a sudden there was a lot of people like me that had found Jesus and had had an encounter with God in, in some kind of similar way that I had experienced. And my, my excitement about who God was in life completely turned around. And for those of you who actually know my personality, I'm pretty much an outgoing... I was always an outgoing kid. I just got transformed by Jesus, and so I became an outgoing Christian. And my, my um, form of being a Christian when I found Jesus that I was so excited about is that I wanted to tell people about Jesus. But I didn't always do it in the most appropriate way. Anybody ever been around a Sean in your life? So I... Uh, heard that, you know, I read scripture and the scripture encouraged me to talk to people about Jesus. And so I thought, well, everybody needed to hear about Jesus the way that I understood. And so I put my Bible verses together and I got my arguments together and I went after people. Uh, Where I came from, it was called Bible thumping. I would thump people over the head with the Bible, you know, and if they didn't get it the first time, I'd hit them again, you know, until they, of course, Sean, I believe. I want to do something, quit, quit confronting me. But I, seriously, I remember somebody very close in my life, a, a good friend of mine. I was so concerned about his relationship with God because what I knew about God was not what he was talking about, what he was not believing in his life, that I decided that he needed a good dose of Sean to get saved. And so I went in with my verses. I went in with my apologetics. I went in with my strategy not sure I went in with a lot of prayer, and I definitely did not go in with a lot of humility. And I went into that conversation to turn this, this guy's life around, because I loved him, because I wanted him to know what I experienced. Well, by the time that conversation was over, we were yelling at each other. I was angry as a hornet, because he was so darn stupid. And um, nothing really happened spiritual, other than... Later, when I realized I needed to repent <laughs> to God for my attitude, and, to, and, and sad to say, um, this person still does not accept or believe in the God that I have so fully embraced and has changed my life. I'm not saying that was a result of my bad evangelism, but I sure didn't help things. Let me put it that way. I remember when we uh, went out um, locally as we were establishing the first church, Community of Faith, in Brighton, um, and we do this occasionally here as well, but we would go out and to the streets and maybe we would sing songs or we maybe um, hit a place that's crowded and pray, and then we would just begin to tell people about Jesus, ask them if we could pray for them. If we had done a drama or something, we would explain the, the drama, and then we'd share the gospel with anybody who was standing around still interested in what we were doing. And we did that one day at Harvard Square. And we finished our presentation, and then we spread out, and I find this guy, and again, I'm kind of, this is early on in my days in Boston, you'll understand, I won't ever do this again, but uh, early on in my days in Boston, I'm just kind of gregarious, kind of happy-go-lucky guy, and this guy was standing around, and I put my hand on his shoulder, it's a no-no, put my hand on his shoulder, I said, brother, 
how can I, you know, I noticed that you're watching the drama. Is there any way that I can pray with you or tell you about Jesus? And he's, he looked at me, and he looked at me with eyes that there was something behind those eyes that was not him. That's all I'm saying. And he looked at me, he stared me in the face, and he said, first of all, get your hand off my shoulder. I was like, okay, bro. Step back a couple steps, and then I started talking to him, and he says, and he looked at me, and he said, he said this, he said, we... It was plural, and that, that's when I knew something was not quite right. He said, we are going to get you and people like you. We're going to annihilate you from the face of the earth. And I was like, all right, well, it's great talking to you. You know, if you ever, if you ever want to talk again, I, I'm not giving you my name, you know. Walked off. You know, um, I, I could go on and on, uh, partly because I have a, have a history of putting my foot in my mouth, but I could go on and on of my experiences that are not so glorious in what we call, in the church, evangelism. Now, when I say that word, what stirs up in you? Do your palms get sweaty? Or do, you, do you start to conjure up all of your bad experiences? Um, You know, those times when I I can think of times when I've gone into conversations with people that are much smarter, much more read, have read the Bible more than I have, have thought about philosophically all the thoughts about the Bible more than I have, and I walked out with my head going, I don't even know what I believe. You had those experiences? When I say evangelism, when I talk about that term, oftentimes in a church, because of what you've experienced personally or what you've experienced done to you, You go, oh, no, I hope he's not going to have a whole sermon on evangelism. Well, I'm not. I'm just going to have a whole sermon on telling people about Jesus. (laughs) We're just going to take the word out of your vocabulary and describe what that really means, which is this. If we've had an encounter with a living God that has so powerfully touched our lives, we like to tell people about it. That's all. It's not perfection. Sometimes it's imperfect. It's not a formula. There's not a perfect way to do it. There's not a perfect prayer to pray. It's just you saying, hey, this is who I know Jesus to be. This is how he has interacted with my life. This is what I know about God through the Bible, and I'd love to introduce you to my friend Jesus. Do you think that's possible? Is that a little bit more safe? You're like, I'm not sure. Okay, I'm going to keep on going. <laughs> I, I can tell you that for all of those bad experiences, for the, any of you all ever played golf, uh, for those of you who play golf, I'm a terrible golfer. So basically, for those of you who haven't played golf, there's a little white ball with a long metal club that does not swing normally in your hands that you're supposed to precisely hit at just the right speed, right angle, right follow-through, whatever, to make that thing go straight a long way. It never happens for me. Hardly at all. But every once in a while, I actually connect with the ball and I have a great shot. And I'm like, I am a golfer. (laughs) Did you see that shot? And one shot, you know what I'm talking about. One shot will bring you back again. So just go out. you got at least 100 times to hit the ball. One time, you hit a good one, you'll always play again. But that's probably what our experiences are like with telling people about Jesus. In reality, it's true because the scripture tells us that the, <clears throat> the road is narrow to God, but the path is wide to destruction. That 
many people, no matter how many times you tell them or talk to them about God, are going to reject God. We take it personally, as if they're rejecting us. That man on Harvard Square might have been rejecting me because <laughs> I put my hand on his shoulder. But most of the time, when we're talking about Jesus and what's happened in our life with God, people aren't rejecting you. They're, they're not at a place where they're open to what God is wanting to do in their life. And we've all been there, right? Or at least I have. There are, there's plenty of opportunity before I found God where I wasn't wanting to hear about God. Or I wasn't quite sure what God was like. Or I was afraid or scared or angry or whatever emotion towards God. And that's where people are tracking. And there might be many of, some people in the room today that are saying, yeah, that's where I am right now, Pastor. And that is a normal experience for human beings. But that doesn't mean that God isn't about inviting them into relationship. And that's what you and I are about. There's a story that I think illustrates kind of what I think evangelism looks like most clearly, and it's found in John 4. And we're not going to stay here long. You can look there if you want to, if you have your Bibles. I'm not going to put it on the screen. But it's the story of the woman at the well. You all remember this story? So the Samaritan woman was at the well, and Jesus, the Jewish man, comes to talk to her. And by the, if you know anything about culture, that was not a normal occurrence on many fronts. But he approached this woman, and he asked her for a drink of water. And they get into a conversation, and he goes on and declares to her that he could give her water that would not just quench her thirst for a moment, but he could give her water that would um, satisfy her spiritual thirst for eternity, forever. And so she's intrigued by the conversation, and uh, they continue to talk. And he asks her a question. He says, go get your husband. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And he has a word of knowledge. He doesn't know this woman. He's not met her. And he says, you know, you're right when you say that you don't have a husband because you've had five husbands. Um, and the one you're with now, is it, is it not your husband? Or is your, is not your husband. Yeah. Right? So he's got a word of knowledge about how many husbands she has, where, what kind of situation she's in right now. And all of a sudden he's got, she's, he's got her attention. And she says, you must be a prophet. Ding, 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 ding. But I'm not just a prophet. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior. And somewhere in that interaction, and we don't know all the details of what happened as far as what ended up coming about. Upon, we don't know when her eyes opened or what happened. As a matter of fact, when she, at the rest of the story, it says, could this person be the Messiah? She might even still be in the place of wondering out aloud who he is. But something was obviously, if somebody kind of reads your mail knows your life without you knowing him. Something about Jesus transformed her. And what was her response? Her response was that she ran back into the village and she started telling people about this amazingly intriguing man out at the well. And it says the village came out to meet Jesus. That is evangelism. Well, you said, but, but, but did, she, did she go through the four spiritual laws with every person in the village? Did she, did she ask a question with a hook that got them to respond whether or not they were actually going to believe in Jesus when they got to the well? I mean, is she really an evangelist? Or No, she was an evangelist. And why was she an evangelist? Because she met Jesus and she was so transformed by Jesus and she said, I'm going to tell other people about Jesus. 
And she let Jesus do the work. See, sometimes we get so overburdened by what we have to do, we forget that it's God who does the work anyway. Anybody anybody out here ever saved anybody? I've never saved anybody. I've never gotten a hold of somebody's heart and set them free from addiction and set, and, or touched their life in a powerful way. I've never transformed the way that they thought that were one day that they were not believing and hard-headed and all of a sudden they're soft and humble and repentant in their hearts. I've never done any of that. I've never been persuasive enough to change one iota of a person's thinking or doing in relation to God. But I have seen God do some pretty amazing things, haven't you? And maybe, maybe you've seen him do it in your life. This is evangelism. She invited the village to what? To a kingdom party. She didn't beat them over the head. She didn't interview every person. She didn't didn't do anything but invite. And people came. People came. So my question to you right now is, how did you encounter God? I put some white cards on your chair, so you can pick that up and hold that in your hand just so that you can refer to what what I'm talking about. There's a white index card sitting near you. You might be sitting on it. You might just stand up and get it out from underneath you. So what I'm going to do at the end of the service is I'm going to give you time to write an encounter you've had with God down on that card. It could be the very first time you met God. It could be something that happened yesterday. But I want you to think about, and later on in the service, I want you to write down how you encountered God in a specific situation in your life. And if you have time, what makes your testimony or what makes this this exercise even better is that you can say, and this is what I was believing for. This is what my life is like before this encounter with God. And after this encounter of God, with God, this is what my life looked like. For those of you who were here a couple of weeks ago and right at the end of the service, we had a few people just kind of give testimony to something, a, a prayer that was answered in their life. You, were many of you here that day? So we had people just spontaneously shared. Did you feel the electricity in the room? Because, they were, because what we had done is we had handpicked all of the best speakers in the room. And we had said, hey, right at the right time, we want you to look like you're just kind of doing it spontaneous, but we want you to come down and here's what we want you to say. We actually rehearsed every one of those testimony for three weeks. I had classes. Didn't they do a great job? No. I didn't even tell them what was going on. They just spontaneously, at the moment, said, I want to go share how God, I have encountered God. And why were they compelled to do it? Did I, were you here? Did I go... Okay, I need some testimonies. <laughs> you, now! I didn't do that. I just said, anybody want to give a testimony? And something within the hearts of three or four people said, I want to share about how God has touched or encountered my life. Why? Because they met God. Because God did something in their life. And why? In front of, and, and, and did you know that on Family Feud, if, you ever play, if you've ever seen Family Feud, the number one fear that people have in their life, if you ever want to get the right answer, number one, it's public speaking. The highest fear. So most people in the room are not going, boy, I hope I get to speak in front of 150 people today about an encounter I had with Jesus. Now waking up thinking you're going to do that. But when the Spirit of God moves you or has touched you in such a way, sometimes you do things like run into villages and tell everybody you can see. 
that you met a strange man that might be the Messiah. God is wanting to do that in our lives. So if you have a chance, later on the service, I'm going to ask you to, I mean, you're going to have a chance. I'd love for you to be thinking about it. You're going to write it down on that card. You might keep that card with you so that it reminds you to be thankful. If you are willing to, we would love to hear some of the testimonies of what God's doing in our church. You might even write it out and sign it. We might even get back to you and go, wow, that's a cool story. Can you tell us more? Or you might just write it and not put your name on it, just so that you can give glory to God but remain anonymous. That would be fine, too. But we're, we're interested in your testimonies. And why are we interested in you writing your testimony? Because when we declare, either by written word or by our mouths or whatever, what God has done, we worship God. Because we give thanks for what he's done. It reminds us of who God is. Let's look at another story about invitation. And we're going to look at this for just a few minutes here as, as kind of a, of a picture of who God is and what he's called us to, to, call us to do. And it's an interesting story on the, the, the topic of evangelism, but it goes with our party theme. And so we're going to pull it out here this morning. Luke 14, verses 15 and following. I'll have this up here for you to, to look at. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Referencing to this, this end time um, uh, messianic uh, dinner or, or big feast with the living God. And Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, "Ah, I've just bought a field and I must inspect it. You're going to have to excuse me. And another said, Hey, hey, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. And another said, Hey, I I have a wife, so I can't come. As if wives don't like parties. I don't know what that's about. So the servant returned and told his master what they had said. And this is interesting. We, 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 we don't necessarily like to see this, this picture of God, but he said that his master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And after the servant had done this, he reported there's still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be, what? Full. For none of those I first invited will ever get the smallest taste, or will even get the smallest taste of the banquet. So here Jesus is at a dinner party, and he's telling this parable about a great feast, about this great feast. Um, I believe he's alluding to the end time feast where we as followers or responders to the invitation to the kingdom of God are gathering together with the party host and celebrating our salvation, celebrating our relationship with the God in heaven. Let's just look at this parable for a second and and see some things that um, speak of who God is and where we are in this story. First of all, God's throwing a party. Surprise, surprise. It's a great party. Jesus is at a party. He's talking about a party to come. God is... Throwing a party. And why does God throw a party? Because God wants to know, wants us to know, wants the world to know how much he loves his creation. How much he loves you and I. You ever had a party thrown for you? 
This is a party thrown for us, by the way. God's throwing a party. The party is already happening. For those of you who don't know it, the kingdom party is already happening, and it's going to be consummated. It's going to be completed when Jesus returns. But we're in the beginning of the party right now. We just don't live it like it sometimes. But have you ever had a party thrown for you? When I turned 40, some of you were at this party. When I turned 40, my wife decided she was going to bless my socks off. Weird phrase, but she wanted to bless me. And she surprised me, first of all, by inviting my mom from Texas up to Boston without me knowing about it. So before the party, Laura said, you know what, we should go out to eat tonight. And so we went out to eat, and when we walked into the restaurant, there's my sweet mom. Now listen, I've got my mom, there's only a few people in my whole contacts folder that have a picture associated with it. And when my mom calls me, this sweet mom shows up on my screen every time she calls. I say, Mom, you need to call me every day just so I can see you. Because she is she means so much to me. And she was sitting there, and I was like, something is up. My mom is in town. And we ate dinner, and then we drove over to Newton Presbyterian Church. And when I walked in the door, there was a hundred or so of my friends just there for me. There was a there was a country western band. I think Dan was in that band. They played all my favorite country songs. We had dancing. We had games. We had dinner. And it was all for me. You know how special I felt? I was, walk- I was walking on the clouds for a whole month. Just so thankful that Laura took the time to honor me in that way. This is God's heart for you and me. He's got the, he's got the most grand party in the world set up for you and me. An invitation beyond what you can imagine, better than any wedding invitation that you've ever experienced. God has in detail designed and lavished a beautiful, wonderful party for you to celebrate how much he loves you. I'm not going to ask you if you have a hard time receiving that, but sometimes we have a hard time receiving the thought that that's how God could think about us. But I'm telling you, he thinks about you and me way more lavishly and lovingly than my wife thought about me on my 40th birthday. That's just a taste of what God feels like about you. And he's not just throwing you a party, but he is a, he's, a, he's a party thrower with abundance. This is the best party. It's, call, it's called a party with forgiveness. It's a party with no regrets. It's a party with complete hope. It's a party that sets you free from addictions. It's a party that fulfills your longing desires for relationship that are better, by the way, than any marriage relationship or any friendship you could ever have. It is a party that comes with all hope, no regret, all purpose. Uh, It is perfect with Jesus. Now, are our lives perfect? No, I'm not declaring that everyone in this room should be living perfect lives. But this is the promise of our hope that we get to taste some of it here on earth, and more and more as we come into the reality and understanding of it, but we will also taste for eternity where there will be no more crying, no more shame, no more death, no more sickness, no more pain. The foretaste of that for us is now. The ultimate taste for that is for eternity, and this is what God calls us to. Amen? It's lavish. He's throwing a party. It's lavish, and he's sending out lots of invitations. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Isn't it a bummer when there's a party and you're not invited? Isn't it a bummer when there's a party and you're not invited and everybody around you is invited and they're talking about the party? It's the worst thing in the world. 
It really is a hard thing. I'm not, I have not experienced that recently, by the way. So nobody go, oh, did we should invite Sean? I'm sorry. <laughs> I actually get over it. But you know what I'm saying. It's hard when there's a party going on and we're not invited. But guess what? God invites everybody to his party. Actually, it makes me really frustrated when I hear theology that says that God doesn't love everybody because he doesn't invite everybody to the party. Because when I read the scripture, I think that John 3.16 says God loved the whole world, not just part of the world, not just the Jewish world, not just uh, a certain segment of the world, not just the really good people of the world, not just, it says he loved the whole world that he gave his only son, that whoever chooses to believe in Jesus will not die for eternity, but have everlasting life. It says in 1 Timothy 2, verse 4, that God wants all people, not just some people, but all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Every person in this room, every person in your life is invited to the party of God. Everybody. Now, does that mean that everybody accepts the invitation? No, this parable is one of many stories and many teachings in the scripture that tell us that not everybody responds to the parable, responds to the invitation. That should make us sad. That should make us upset. That should make us more eager to reflect and to show and to invite the presence of God and communicate the love of God to people over and over and over again in various forms in many different ways so that they don't miss out. Because guess what? Even when we reject him one time, will God accept you the next time? If we rip up the invitation today, if we're still alive and there's another invitation, I say that because sometimes the invitation you get today might be your last invitation. But if we're still alive and we get to hear of another invitation and we've been completely rebellious and mocked him and told him you can take it and shove it, but today all of a sudden we realize maybe I shouldn't have said that to God and I actually really do believe, does he let us come to the party? Yeah! Praise God, because that was me. I don't know about you. How forgiving and gracious is God? But all are invited to the party. And the Father is not just inviting people to the party, but he's proactive. He's sending out invitations. He's sending out you and me. He's doing whatever he can. He's getting out to every corner of the, of the planet to tell people about Jesus. I love the parable of the, of the lost sheep. Because this, this explains this part of God's heart, where it says that the master of the sheep or the shepherd of the sheep leaves the 99 that are secure and safe in the flock, and he goes out and looks for the one who's lost. He doesn't just go, well, you missed it. You're a goner. Too bad you can't hear me. But he has such love for that one sheep that he says, hey, guys, you okay? Okay, I'll be back in a little bit. I'm going to look for the one who has lost his way. Aren't you glad that when you've lost your way, he's not casting shame upon you for losing your way? He's not condemning you for getting lost? He's not indifferent like, well, you should have stayed up. You should have got with it. But that he really is broken. He's really longing to find you and to bring you back. This is God's invitation. He goes for it. He's out. He's proactive. So who are we in the story? There might be two of us in the room. There might be two people in the, in the story. And there might be two groups of people 
in this room that are in the story. One of those groups are the people that are being invited. What happened with the people that were being invited? Right? So some of you might be here because someone gave you a party and God invitation. Or said, hey, come to church with me. Love for you to be with me this Sunday. Some of you might be here on invitation of somebody in the room, but some of you might be here because you just were stirred to go to church today. And God was the one that invited you. What happened in the parable with those who were invited that rejected? They said, I've got a field to work. I've got some, I've got some car, new car I've got to drive. Some new oxen. I've got a relationship. I've got a relationship where I'm looking, I'm, I'm really, really right now involved in some relationships, pursuing some relationships. I don't really have time for God. Does that sound familiar? It's kind of the common theme, isn't it? We have common excuses about why we are all set, thanks, in Boston, or we will maybe, my two common phrases when I tell people about God is all set, thanks, like, don't tell me anything else. I got, I got it all together. Or, you know, I'm just, I'm just not ready. I'm just not ready yet. Well, we know what just not ready yet means in Scripture. God, Jesus tells another parable about the ten virgins of which five were ready for when Christ came back or ready for when the invitation came to receive him. Five, he said, no, I'm not ready, and they missed out. So some of us might be in that place where we are invited, but we're not sure that we're going to receive the invitation. And there's many of us in the room that have already received the invitation. And God is saying to us, go out and invite and it doesn't mean just go invite them to church, although that could be a part of it. What it's really saying is go out and tell people about the relationship you have with me. Tell people about Jesus and say, hey, you know what? You can have a relationship with him just like I do. Go and give people invitations to God. We are the invitation givers. We are the ones that call people to leave the less fulfilling endeavors of the world and come to an eternal party that's filled with hope and promise transformation and salvation. We're called to encourage people to come to God by telling them. Some of us don't because of fear. Some of us don't because we don't want to offend. Some of us don't because we don't know what to say. Some of us don't because we have about 10 reasons why we don't. Some of us look around the room and go, well, that's great. I'm glad that we have a few people like Sean in the room. Maybe they'll all tell all of my friends about Jesus. We think somebody else is going to do it, and sometimes that happens. But what would it be like when we get to heaven if for all of those reasons and many more, we really never told people, or some of us just think, well, they'll see. They'll see the difference in my life. I hope they will. But what if they don't ever connect the dots of why you are different and it has to do with Jesus? Sometimes I think about that in my own places of apathy, and I go, God, I don't ever want to imagine or think that somebody's life for eternity might be severely impacted by my indifference, by my fear, by my apathy. But I sure won't have a problem telling them about my new Mustang that I got that's so cool that they really ought to get one. I won't have any problem telling them about that great vacation to Cancun that I just went on and that great hotel that I stayed at that you should get, or that great airline cell that just came out by JetBlue and you should get it before Christmas. For $59 one way. You know what I'm saying? That I won't consider the trivial things in life so eager to pass along to people. But I'm afraid to talk about the eternal things that really make a difference in people's lives. 
when I feel fearful, when I feel all of those excuses, I pray, God, would you help me get over the hump with those excuses so that I might honor you by communicating the gospel. So you might be one of those two people, and God is asking you to respond to whatever invitation, the invitation to receive him or the invitation to go out and tell people about Jesus. And by the way, have you ever been around a great salesman? Have you ever been around one? You probably lost a lot of money. Because people who are great salesmen are great salesmen. Why? Part of it is because they're good communicators, but part of it is because they make you believe that they really think that product is the only product in the world that you're ever going to want. And usually, the best salesmen are like that because they really do believe in the product. The easiest sales job in the world is having a product that you believe in. It's really hard when you don't believe in it. But when you believe in something, you're willing to sell it. I was talking to a friend of mine who's from an Arabic background, and he happened to be at a hospital in town, um, and he encountered a man from Saudi Arabia from a different faith background than Jesus, um, who was there because um, his child was really sick. And so they ended up having just this long, friendly conversation about life, engaging in in, in conversation, and uh, and it went on for a while, and and, and my friend was about to leave. He needed to leave, and he felt inclined because he thought he might not ever see this man again. He felt inclined to say this to the man. He said, you know, I want you to know. And he was taking a risk based on this conversation, But this man, he said, I want you to know, I'm a follower of Jesus. Jesus has changed my life. And he says, I know for a fact, both in the testimony of of the Bible, the word of God, but in my own life, that not only does Jesus change spiritual lives, but he heals people. And he can heal your daughter. Would you mind if we prayed to Jesus for your daughter? And this man looked at him and he said, I would be open to that. And he said, the reason I would be open to that is because I could tell without you saying anything about this Jesus that there was something genuine and loving in your life. And I thought to myself, this man knows something that I do not know, and I want to know what it is. I want you to not only pray for my daughter, but I want you to tell me about this Jesus. He got saved and baptized. Because of that genuine salesman. Now, was that was my friend doing the four spiritual laws with him? Was he on a mission? No, he was just loving him. He was just caring about him. And in the midst of it, he introduced him to his friend, Jesus. Okay. So we're going to pause here. Get your cards out. Invite the band up. have the band just kind of play some music in the background. And again, there is a place of worship in just this exercise for you. You've been sitting here listening to me tell stories, and uh, hopefully you've been thinking of your story. You've been thinking about what has happened in your life. And again, you might be a part of that audience who has maybe not encountered God in the way that I'm talking about, and maybe on your card... It's a prayer where you say something to the, something like this. God, Jesus, if you are like this 
man is talking about, I want to know you. I want to encounter you. Maybe that's all you put on the card. Obviously, you don't have to fill out the card, but we're going to give you some space to listen to God, to respond, and let your worship be a written testimony of how you encountered God in a powerful way. What were you like before that encounter, and what what are you like since that encounter? What What did that encounter with God do in your life? We'll take just a few minutes to do that, and then we'll have one more thing before we finish up the service.